Cancer Advances, a Cleveland Clinic podcast for medical professionals, exploring the latest innovative research and clinical advances in the field of oncology. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cancer Advances. I'm your host, Dr. Dale Shepard, a medical oncologist here at Cleveland Clinic overseeing our toxic phase one and sarcoma programs. Today, I'm happy to be joined by Dr. Matteo Trucco, a pediatric hematologist-oncologist at Cleveland Clinic Children's, who's leading the Cleveland Clinic Children's Cancer Innovative Therapy Program. He's here today to talk to us about that program. So, welcome. Thank you for having me. So, maybe uh, to start, you can tell us a little bit about what's your role here at Cleveland Clinic? Um, so, my role at Cleveland Clinic is I'm, I'm kind of the pediatric version of uh, Dale Shepard, honestly. Uh, I, I see sarcoma patients and I, I run clinical trials on the pediatric side, everything from the, the phase one trials where we're trying to figure out whether drugs are, are safe to a little bit more advanced clinical trials where we're trying to see if uh, new drug combinations or no, new drugs are actually efficacious in treating uh, certain cancers. So uh, the Cleveland Clinic Children's uh, recently launched this new early phase initiative. It's uh, this Cleveland Clinic Children's Cancer Innovative Therapy Program. Tell us a little bit about what that program's about. So that program was designed to try to kind of more formalize how we develop new ideas, new treatments for kids with cancer. I mean, we, we certainly had been doing clinical trials before my coming here. But it was an attempt to kind of bring a little more innovation to it, bring a little more structure to it, and, and build kind of a platform where other researchers can also come with their clinical trials, their ideas. And it's really a three-pronged approach. You know, one, there's industry-sponsored trials. So a drug company comes up with the newest, greatest drug, and certainly we want to make that available uh, for kids. And with some of the recent changes at the FDA, more drug companies are, are interested in, in seeing if their drugs are, are helpful uh, for treating childhood cancers. The second prong is partnering with consortia in the pediatric oncology field. So Children's Oncology Group is the big one. We've been a member of, of that consortium for a long time. And certainly those trials are, are important. But we also partnered with some smaller consortia that are a little more agile and a little more innovative. They're willing to kind of you know, try something a little more out there, a little uh, different uh, to see if, you know, maybe some of the, the tried and true uh, uh, approaches that we've been using for years and years and years, maybe they need to change. Maybe we need to attack these cancers in a different way, look at them in a different way. So some of these smaller consortia are doing that. Then we have uh, investigator-initiated trials where it's, you know, someone here at uh, the Cleveland Clinic has come up with a a new approach, a new drug, a new way of treating childhood cancer. And it's kind of in the early phases, and so we kind of have it available here to see if it works. And then, you know, with our partners, either in industry or in the consortia, we can expand that. And again, kind of building that that infrastructure with the research coordinators, the managers, research nurses to be able to bring these trials efficiently and effectively to our patients. So when you mentioned the industry trials, are these uh, primarily the approach to be more inclusive and have the adult trials go down into younger ages or are these specifically pediatric trials? We've got both. So the FDA 
at the end of 2019 kind of did a 180, where it used to be that you had to have a pretty darn good argument for including uh, pediatric patients on an adult trial without having established safety first. Now they realize that that approach kind of left pediatric uh, cancer patients behind. There, there are a lot of drugs weren't uh, made available to them. So now it's you have to come up with a compelling argument to not have at least a pediatric arm on a clinical trial. You know, right now we have a couple uh, clinical trials that are just drugs that have been used in adults, and now it's an exclusive pediatric trial kind of mirroring the adult trial. But I foresee in the near future some trials coming down the pipe where there's going to be at least a, a, a cohort for pediatrics or, or a separate arm for pediatrics built into the adult trial. Oh, that's great. That's uh, it's the only way things get better. Now, the program you're working with, is this primarily focusing on any particular cancers? Is this uh, more on the solid side, the heme side? What are we focusing on? So since my clinical focus is sarcomas, there's a slight preponderance of clinical trials aimed at sarcomas, but the the vision is for it to make trials available for brain tumors, for hematology, for leukemia, probably not uh, heme malignancies, let's call them. And, and we'd have those trials through the Children's Oncology Group, through some other uh, industry sponsors and some uh, investigator-initiated trials. But, you know, my interest, what I'm, I'm kind of partnered with is a little more on the solid tumors and the sarcomas, just because that's where my clinical interest lies. And, and we tend to have a large referral base for those patients. We also have my colleague in office, Dr. Neha Patel, is working on pediatric brain tumor trials and some of the consortia uh, we work with are, are starting to get a little more interested in brain tumors also. Then we also have bone marrow transplant trials in pediatrics that um, we have several trials open. And again, we're working on more moving forward. And when you look at those groups of solid or heme malignancies or brain tumors, have historically one of those groups been underrepresented? You know, I jokingly say that uh, I aspire to be a leukemia doc um, <laughs> because they, they're the poster child for success in cancer and not just pediatric cancer because they went from the 1950s where the most common cancer we see in kids is um, acute lymphoid leukemia. It was almost universally fatal. And now we cure 80, 85, 90 plus percent of those. Um, so they, they really pioneered combinatorial chemotherapy and and really a success story in medicine. Sarcomas, for example, kind of always lag a little bit behind. Uh, a localized sarcoma, we're looking at, you know, about a 70% cure rate, which is not bad, but could obviously be better. And we have very toxic chemotherapies that we use. Metastatic sarcomas, we really haven't made a significant difference in them in, in 40 years. And, and we're using chemotherapy that was first developed 30, 40 years ago. So, so clearly those are areas that we need to improve. And, you know, that's part of why I got drawn to sarcomas and part of why I got drawn to clinical trials, specifically wanting to bring forward uh, new treatments and better treatments for sarcomas. Now, some of those successes certainly have been because, you know, in the past and, and, and even still, uh, pediatric trials tend to have much, uh, much greater enrollment in terms of more patients uh, with pediatric cancers enroll in trials. That's a real problem in adult side. Um, how about early phase trials? Is there the same interest in participating with uh, patients and their parents? 
Yeah. I mean, everyone's a little different, obviously. Um, you know, at one point we had 90% of eligible patients go on a trial and that's upfront trials or trials for relapse were kind of the earlier phase trials. We have a lot of patients that come to us looking for a trial and there's certainly kind of standard of care off the shelf, second and third line chemotherapies. But some families say, okay, we know those are there (laughs) and we can use them whenever, but we're looking for something new, something innovative. And what we've also tried to do to make these trials a little more appealing, let's say, to patients and families is try to build them in a way where you're going to get this backbone, which is very similar to the chemo you would get off study, kind of that standard second line chemo. And then we add a new drug or, or a new therapy that we think would augment the benefit of that trial. So they're not losing anything by, by coming on clinical trials. And, and that will, I think that that resonates with families. It resonates with doctors. When we think about the drugs that are being studied, uh, are these primarily new drugs in kids or sort of drugs that have primarily been used in adults being pushed into uh, pediatric trials? We've got a little bit of all of that. You know, we we have a lot of trials where it's the checkpoint inhibitors, for example, have have been very successful for some of the more adult malignancies, melanomas, some lung cancers, stuff like that. We're trying to figure out how to make those work better in pediatrics. You know, it's early. uh, I'm trying to see how that works. Other things are, are truly it's we've done the adult clinical trial for this tyrosine kinase inhibitor. And now we're looking to see what the safe dose in pediatrics is. And oftentimes the pediatric dose is actually higher than the adult dose because kids, their organs work better. So uh, they, they are able to tolerate higher doses. So those trials exist. Then we're doing a lot of repurposing uh, of drugs. Be it, you know, we've done some trials using metformin, which is a diabetes drug that we're trying to see if it has anti-cancer activities. I'm in the process of opening a clinical trial using a drug called disulfiram, which is a drug that's been used for 60 years to treat alcoholism. But there's some evidence that it uh, blocks an enzyme important to uh, how cancer cells survive chemotherapy. And so we're testing to see whether or not that can uh, enhance the chemotherapy. Every once in a while, you get a drug that's new to, to humans, let's say, and is specifically uh, started off in pediatrics for a variety of reasons. Um, there's a couple of drugs like that for Ewing sarcoma, which is a bone tumor that affects adolescents and, and young adults, where the drug was specifically developed for the mutation that we see in Ewing sarcoma to target that. So those trials started off in pediatrics, maybe not all the way down to the youngest kids, but at least kind of 12-year-olds and up. Uh, so we have a couple of those trials, too. So I guess uh, maybe take a really uh, brief step back. You just mentioned about really young and 12, and I know some of the adult trials are, are going down to 12 and above. And when we talk about pediatrics, what, what population for these trials are we talking? Are we talking how young is young? Um, for these trials? Are we talking months old, years old, six years? What, where do these normally start? I mean, there's such a tremendous range you'd see in your clinic compared to what I see on the adult side. Yeah. I mean, we, we have trials that go all the way down to essentially newborns. Um, you know, one of the 
newest uh, drug classes were these NTREC inhibitors. And one of the population that tend to have that mutation more than others is infantile fibrosarcoma. I mean, babies are born with that. So we go that low. And then tumors like uh, Ewing's, as I mentioned, the peak is in the teenage years, but you know, we, we often end up treating uh, 30-year-olds uh, on our trials because they have Ewing's sarcoma, quote-unquote, pediatric tumor, if you will. And so if the more promising drug is, is on a pediatric trial, we usually don't necessarily have an upper limit to some of our, our many of our trials, or we might cap it at 30 or 40, just somewhat arbitrarily. So I truly do see that range. As you mentioned, a lot of the, the adult trials are starting to allow younger patients. And 12 has become kind of a, a popular number because it's like you're sort of hitting puberty at that age and you're more or less adult sized because a lot of dosing is, is uh, size based. So we certainly have those trials. And then we have trials where, you know, you have one arm that's for 12 and up and then we have another arm that's 12 and under to try to tease out if, if the dosing needs to be different for those two different age groups. So as a phase one guy, I have a very, very practical question. Um, you know, oftentimes these trials are primarily looking at safety. They're looking at toxicity. They're looking at side effects. Uh, help me out here. How do you do that in a two-year-old? Uh, you rely on the parents a lot. Uh, <laughs> certain things you're not going to be able to to probably glean as well, like fatigue, but we also have other metrics of fatigue, like, you know, our, our performance scale, we have the pediatric version where instead of saying, you know, are you able to care for yourself? It's more like, can the, does the kid play the way they normally do? Uh, or is the kind of playing that the, the two-year-old is doing not running around like you normally would, but instead they're sitting there playing quietly that, that, suggest their performance is, is lower than normal. So we have those uh, features. Other things we kind of, we use parallel metrics, you know, lab results, uh, weight, uh, things like that kind of give us a better sign of, are they tolerating the drugs as well as, as we hope. And, and again, largely these kids, I mean, if, if you gave your patients the same drugs that are regimens that I give my patients, and, and we've done this, uh, the adults just fall apart. And, and, you know, you have a big burly 30-year-old who can't tolerate the same chemo that, that a five-year-old can just because their organs are just in much better shape than, than yours or mine. And uh, they're able to clear things and tolerate things a lot better than, than the adults. You previously mentioned people coming to look for trials. How much of this program is supporting uh, patients that you and your colleagues are already seen here at the clinic, and how many um, patients are referrals from the region? So a little bit of both. Um, we have, just because of uh, my colleagues and, and, and the sarcoma team that you're part of, a lot of sarcoma patients come here. Obviously, Cleveland's a relatively big city. Northeast Ohio has pretty big population, so we get a decent amount of, of upfront patients with sarcomas or brain tumors or what have you. And, and we treat them. And if they were to recur and need a clinical trial or for whatever reason, their, their upfront disease, there's a clinical trial that is a good fit for them. 
uh, we'll treat them. But we also have a very large national and international kind of referral system for second opinions uh, led by Pete Anderson. Um, and, you know, with me coming here, I've, I've kind of also joined that uh, second opinion telemedicine referral network. And, you know, we, we provide kind of our expertise, our, our, our opinion. And then because it's kind of a small world, if there's some trials that I don't have open here, but I know are open down in Columbus, are open uh, in California or what have you. So we kind of inform them where they can go and where they can get these treatments. If hopefully we have the best treatments uh, available to them here, and if they want, and, and several patients have wanted, they come to Cleveland specifically to be on the trials. COVID has made that a little tricky, but despite that, we still have a decent amount of patients that will come in. So I don't have hard and fast numbers, but for the clinical trials, it might be about a 50-50 split of uh, kind of internal candidates and, and external ones. So has COVID had much of an impact? I know on the adult side, we've had some actually advantages where people can get labs locally instead of having to come here to the clinic. So have you had similar uh, changes in, in trials or, or problems with program development thanks to COVID? It's, it's changed how we need to go about things. I know one trial has kind of been put on hold because it required the tumor to be surgically removed and then someone from the company has to come pick up the tumor, take it back, process it, bring it back to us. So that one, because of the travel restrictions and, and access has been put on hold. Other ones, I think we've done a pretty decent job. It's been a burden on the team, but we've tried to not make it a burden on the patients. So patients have flown up here. That's a bit risky for them, but they incur that risk or maybe they drive to get those treatments. So that certainly has happened uh, without a problem. Some of the treatments we've been able to do via video instead of in person. So that's been convenient. Couple, yeah, we've been able to lessen the trips to the hospital just for kind of monitoring and, and labs. And then it's, it's just bogged down the system, the approval process and the regulatory stuff. Just um, one, because the, the system's been inundated with a bunch of COVID trials rightly so, um, but that's more burden on, on the legal team, the IRB, what have you. And then, you know, all these, these groups have people that are getting infected, people that are quarantining and, and working from home now. And so it's kind of complicated things from that standpoint, but we've tried to not make those headaches, the patient's headaches. So what are the biggest gaps? What, uh, What's the biggest thing that needs fixed to move forward in this area? Oh, there's so many. <laughs> uh, I mean, the, the biggest challenge we have is that, you know, we don't completely understand the biology of a lot of these tumors. So there are certainly people working on that aspect. Two, getting the drugs available for pediatric trials. That, that's always been a challenge. And as we discussed earlier, hopefully that's turning around. Three, and something that we're looking at in one of the consortium that I'm a part of, is are we giving drugs the right way? You know, if you look at something like childhood leukemia, you get four drugs in the first month, then you switch, you get another six drugs in a different pattern, then you switch and you get uh, uh, some of the first drugs again. And it's a very, if you kind of map it out, a very 
just a lot of variability in what drugs you're getting and how you're getting them and how they function and, and the duration. And, and that's probably contributing uh, to the 85, 90 plus percent cure rate that we see in those, those tumors. Plus we understand the biology of leukemia a lot better. Something like childhood sarcomas, we give you know the same two or three drugs every three weeks over and over and over and over for 40 weeks. And when you map it out, it seems, wow, that's very redundant. And again, it works to some degree. You know, we have a 70% cure rate in localized disease. That's nothing to sneeze at, but maybe that's not the best strategy for the metastatic tumors. Maybe using an approach more similar to what the leukemia regimens look like would be better. But then you look at the drugs we have for leukemia and the drugs we have for sarcomas and the drugs we have for sarcomas, they kind of fall into you know, two cat categories. They're either topisomerase inhibitors or they're alkylating agents, and, and that's about it. So there's this lack of diversity in the drugs that we have, and then maybe even how we are giving it is not the smartest way. So we're looking at that. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for your uh, insight here today, Mateo, and uh, we really appreciate you being with us. Oh, it's been a pleasure being with you guys. This concludes this episode of Cancer Advances. You will find additional podcast episodes on our website, clevelandclinic.org slash canceradvancespodcast. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget, you can access real-time updates from Cleveland Clinic's Cancer Center experts on our Consult QD website at consultqd.clevelandclinic.org slash cancer. Thank you for listening. Please join us again soon.